I think it was it was February 11th um, when it just it dropped below freezing outside um, and the temperature had been like consistently plunging for a good number of days and starting on the 11th it just stayed below freezing. What was it like trying to take care of, of two young children while you're going through all of this and, and not really knowing what's going to happen next? You know, your, your water goes out, you, you're experiencing these dips in electricity, maybe it's going to go out entirely the next day, you don't know. I mean, just what, were you, what was going through your mind? I mean, I'm not going to, it did uh, scare us a little bit. Uh, there was a point where it was still, we still had power out and we were just watching the temperature in the house get lower and lower and lower to the point where since we have all this data, we know what our house temperature normally is. And we can just say, hey, it's colder in our house than it's ever been. As in the kids do not know what it's like to be in a house this cold. From Aviva Studios, this is Radio Pi, a podcast that investigates how data and technology are shaping the future of the industrial economy. So let's get into it. Hey, I'm Rebecca Ahrens. This is Radio Pi. And today we've got a special episode for you. We're going to be talking to one of Aviva's own engineers about how he used a home version of Aviva's industrial data management platform, the Pi system, to protect his home and family and even do his small part to help support the power grid during the polar vortex in Texas last winter. We'll also hear about how power and water utilities, research facilities, and other industrial organizations can use these same tools to make their operations more reliable and energy efficient. At its heart, though, this is a story about personal ingenuity and the incredible power of operational information, even when we use it on a very small scale. We'll talk about how data can make us more resilient and give us a sense of control in the face of a catastrophe. Uh, My name is Dan Lopez. I'm a senior pre-sales engineer in Austin, Texas, so good old center of the U.S. As you might remember, this past February, Texas was hit with one of the worst winter storms in its recorded history. Millions of people went for days without water or power. Some of them even died just trying to keep warm by any means necessary. So I'd love it if you could just walk me through the story of what happened to you during the storm. When did you first kind of realize there was going to be a problem? Really the part that started started making us all aware because we just saw any standing water, even just things that were just barely damp, just start getting ice crystals all over them. Um, and the part amongst all this that really got us worried was on Valentine's Day, actually, uh, we have our home pie system set up to monitor not just all this really exciting data from our house, but also the status of these sensors. Just for a little background, the Pi system is a data management platform that allows users to access real-time sensor-based data from virtually any asset. These assets are typically pieces of equipment like machines or devices, or even just parts of machines that are used in industrial settings. Once you've collected your asset data into the Pi system, the software allows you to structure, visualize, and track it in an accessible and intuitive way. This makes it easy for industrial operators and managers to keep track of how well their equipment is working day by day, hour by hour, or sometimes even millisecond by millisecond. Like I said, the Pi system is designed for industrial use, but because Dan works for Aviva and is generally an inquisitive and enterprising kind of guy, he has access to his own home Pi system, 
which he uses to run fun data collection experiments and explore all kinds of interesting data-driven questions. But more on that later. For now, back to what happened with Dan and his Pi system during the storm. And on the 14th, like in the afternoon, we got a message saying that the sensor that we have installed on our water meter, like a below ground water flow sensor, it went offline because basically it froze. And at that point, we're, we're kind of getting a little worried because if a sensor that's below ground right next to our water pipes is freezing, then, I mean, it's feasible that the pipe itself could also freeze. And that's that's really what got us a little afraid. And this was before the services had been shut off? Yeah. So we still had water flowing. So yeah, water was still going. So this is the point where they always tell you to leave your taps dripping a little bit. And we were already doing that. But now it's like, okay, let's be really vigilant about it. Let's do every single possible thing we can to keep water going. Um, And then, of course, three days later, then suddenly we start hearing weird like uh, popping and crackling sounds. And then water service just stops. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. And what about the power? When did you first lose power? When the power went out at, uh, I think it was like before five o'clock, I noticed the clicking sound from all these things stopping the fan going. For some reason, that woke me up. But then the first thought was like, wow, it's going to start getting colder. Francisco and Emilia are going to start getting colder. And then suddenly, I'm awake. It's like 100%, no need for coffee. It's like, okay, we're, we're up. So Amelia hits the point where she has to take her nap. So I say, okay, it's too cold for her to nap by herself anymore. So there was a morning where I just I had to sit there back on the bed and lie down and just be a warm bed for her and not move, not check my phone, just kind of lie there. And that's the point that really, like, that's a real eye opener for you when you're like, wow, I'm just, I'm having to be a warm bed for her because I have no idea how long the power is going to be out. And I've got blankets ready to just keep piling them on top of her because if it gets colder, we're just, we're we're just going to have to make sure she doesn't (laughs) get colder than she's ever gotten in her life. Yeah. Wow. Such a, a powerful image to think about. So I'm I'm curious about the the system that you have in your house for for monitoring the water and and the power. So if you could just, you know, on a very basic level talk us through what that system is and then and then talk a little bit about what first motivated you um to put the system in place because obviously you've you've had it in place since before the storm. It just happened to come in extremely handy during the storm. The nice thing is that the way, the way we tackled our house was very similar to the uh, way our customers do it. And that was actually the original inspiration. My background is in mechanical engineering, not in software. And so while I've used a lot of software through school, it was just so helpful to be able to go through that in-person experience of like what our daily uh, users do who use this kind of software. So the whole reason it started was in the same way that people always use software like this. Like We had data-driven questions and we wanted to answer them. So the the first one was... Uh, I think we started with looking at our HVAC with temperature sensors. So we're able to pull data from uh, the house thermostat um, and then also from a bunch of other little IoT sensors we had. Uh, And it just it just really kind of like spiraled out of there. So we've done everything from uh, putting sensors on our refrigerator door, which was a project about uh, doing interrupt driven data collection. So not polling or scheduled, but as soon as on a hardware level, the door gets open, it fires a message to a, to a Pi server, uh, to putting something on my dog's collar because we were looking at geolocation and having him be a little uh, little geolocation beacon. And so for the for the water and, and electricity, that was actually really, really straightforward because that's, that's very well understood from an industrial standpoint. So for 
the water meter, we put in a non-contact water meter that detects the spinning metal inside a, a water meter, because every spinning piece of metal technically makes a bit of a field, and the field cycles at the same rate as your impeller. So we say, oh wow, you can use that to uh, to back out how much water usage you're using in real time. That's exactly how our meter works. And then for electricity, just right inside our breaker box, we had an electrician install some uh, clamp-on current transducers, which just directly let us see exactly how much electricity we're using, like in, in as real time as humanly possible. So it sounds like, you know, this was primarily motivated by by your own curiosity and, and ingenuity. Yeah. Um, did you have a thought... You know, I hear you when you're saying this is this is a lot about learning and and getting that data from your own house. Did you have a thought at the time like, oh, well, maybe we could use this to regulate how much power we're using, maybe save the family a little money or that kind of thing? Was that in your in your mind at all? Oh, for sure. I mean, for one thing, it, it was really interesting and really fun to see this data in mind. But I, I mean, just just working where I do, uh, I get to see, and in particular in my job role, which is really fun, I get to see people uh, put this these kind of tools in action. So we get to see people say, "Oh, we prevented this piece of equipment from melting down," or "We shaved ten percent off of our annual usage," and this translates into however many thousands of dollars. So making uh, making any little changes really can make a difference. And same thing with electricity. Both of my wife and I have some pretty massive. Uh, home office setups, and we've got all sorts of little sensors and, and gadgets around the house. And knowing, hey, wait, we can use this data to let us let us be smarter about this pretty quickly. We can just back out how many uh, dollars and cents we'll save per year, and it, it just it's super clear. Wow, this makes a huge difference. And so, how did it feel, you know, having these tools available to you when when the storm hit, knowing that you you could collect that kind of data? And, and that, that's a really interesting question because I think I, I kind of contrast that with just also being a parent. So I, I remember, for instance, like when, when a kid gets sick, the first thing you think of, or the first thing that, that I thought of is, okay, like, what do I know? Like, what do I know? What do I do? And it's almost as if like you're like, my mind's just reaching out, like scrambling for, okay, like what, what things I do? What medicines do I know? What are her symptoms? What have I read? What do I remember? And so, and so you, you reach out for things to grab. It's like the things that you can do to, to change this. But in this case, it, it was really interesting because it, we weren't in a situation where there was nothing we can do. We, we knew how to, to melt water for the toilets and ration bottled water. Like We knew those things, but knowing, okay, the, those terrible scenarios out there, like a water leak, something breaking, something bursting and, and ruining one of our walls or our ceilings, it was, it was just amazing knowing, wow, that, that's not something where we have zero control. Like we actually have a tool that can make a difference here. Like that, it, it was, it, it's not necessarily something that I can say was, was going through my mind in the moment, but... When I look back and see how we were able to stay, stay so calm through it, I, I can't say that that has to be a, a factor. Sounds like it, it must have felt a little empowering, right? Like you were saying, there's there's a thing I can do. There's something I can hold on to 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 feel like I have some control. Definitely like empowering, like in the in the purest sense of the word, for sure. So you already talked about this a little bit, but um, as you mentioned, you know, for your job, you you often talk to to power utilities, for example. Um, can you explain how a system like the one you have set up uh, would benefit a larger utility? Can you explain what are some of the benefits of these technologies? I think if you ask anyone who works in T and D or in power, 
hey, if you could park your desk next to your substation or next to your transformer or right next to the, the main stator, would you do that? They'd say, oh yeah, in a heartbeat, easily. So then I could just look over, I could make all the readings, but there's just so many pieces of equipment out there, so many devices that that's, that's not feasible. And a system like this means they have all that data immediately at their fingertips whenever they need it and in exactly the right format so they can get back to doing their normal day-to-day -day work without having to just be scurrying everywhere. But that's actually one of the, the really nice things of, of my role is that actually even currently I work with folks who operate some of these assets here in Texas and help maintain them. Um, and it's just, it's really clear from that role how the tool helps buy people time. It helps let them apply their expertise like at a greater scale than a single person could. They can do more with a few clicks than, than they would if they were having to do it all manually. Uh, even in our house, when, when, uh, when power started flickering and we saw some notices uh, from different entities saying, hey, it, and any effort that folks could do whatsoever to reduce their usage would just be can make a vast impact. We, we, we actually use the, the live data from our current transducers to do that exact same thing. Because that just means if, if each individual household is using less power, that means there's more power available on the grid for other people. Oh, yes. And for me, it's a little hard to realize. It's, oh, how much of a difference can we make? But when we... When electricity came back on for us and, and the thermostat kicks back on, we start warming up and, and we read that on our phones, we immediately think, okay, like let's let's see what we can do. We're looking at a live dashboard of our electricity usage and we see how many watts we're using. We just look at this and they think, okay, well, I, I think we could make a difference. Um, there's a certain baseline level and you can perhaps even see little patterns from different devices. That is just massive motivation to keep searching and just keep finding things um, and ultimately i think we we shaved about a hundred watts off of our our typical minimum usage and so what, what is your typical usage just to put that in context um our usual minimum usage like our baseline uh hovers at around 277 watts and we're saying okay that's about the electricity that we use say for instance at during this the like night hours when no one's using anything active. And yes, our, our AC and HVAC, like that kicks on and off, um, but it's usually around like 277. And we were able to get it down to 111 flat. Wow. So quite quite a dramatic drop. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's just what's what was staggering because we we're thinking, well, all we're doing is going through and finding all these tiny little changes and realizing that, wait a second. Unfortunately, at this moment in our conversation, the connection dropped out briefly. But what Dan was going to say is that all these little changes and incremental improvements do, over time, add up. And if you think the impact that one family in Texas can have using these tools to reduce their own energy usage is impressive, just imagine the possibilities of using these kinds of data collection, visualization, and analytics tools on an industrial scale. For example, Thames Water is the UK's largest private water and sewage utility provider. The utility handles six times the volume of water in Sydney Harbour each year, delivering one trillion litres of water to customers and processing two trillion litres of storm and wastewater. As we discussed in the last episode, water treatment and distribution is extremely energy intensive. The total amount of energy Thames Water uses in a year translates to about 1% of the total amount of energy energy used in the entire UK. To help reduce this energy burden, the utility uses real-time sensor data from its SCADA system, along with some of the same tools Dan and his family use to gain greater visibility into its operations. In one year alone, Thames Water was able to reduce its energy usage by 10%. 
America's National Institute of Health has used the same tools to help improve equipment reliability by 50%, leading to a 10 to 17% annual utility savings. And a team of Harvard Medical School researchers has used the same real-time data collection and visualization tools to monitor and control campus electric, steam, and chilled water assets to prevent expensive overages during peak times. As a result, they cut energy consumption by 15%. Even NASA has used these tools at its Langley Research Center to collect data from over 400 metering devices and saved over 3,000 kilowatts per year in energy consumption. And of course, all these efficiencies don't just save power, water, and money for industrial facilities and the taxpayers who support them. They're also reducing our overall carbon footprint. For more details, you can check out the links in the resources section for this episode at osisoft.com slash radio hyphen pi hyphen podcast. And now back to my conversation with Dan. So what would be kind of like a, a comparable example on on the grid level, like in, in transmission and distribution throughout a state? What would some of those like small changes and, and adjustments be that would give savings to, to, a, to a grid operator? Yeah. So this is what's really interesting because in my case, I'm able to look at a a steady state, like the baseline usage while we're asleep and make that my target. Um, When you get things to to a system like that, uh, with so many variables, so many independent loads on the grid, I mean, that problem's just magnified immensely. Long story short, there, there are a lot of different events or scenarios that occur on a regular basis. These events or scenarios Dan is talking about can be a sudden curtailment event that a power generator has to respond to, or conversely, a sudden increase in demand caused by weather, or even something like a festival or big event that draws a lot more people into a city or town than are normally there, all of them plugging things in and putting a larger-than-average strain on the grid. As we'll learn in an upcoming episode, balancing supply and demand on the power grid is an extremely delicate high-stakes, real-time, responsive dance in which thousands of people's lives may be on the line if an accident or misstep creates a cascading outage. And the tactic I'm talking about is a single person, of course, can only hold so many uh, so many memories of such like a complicated event in their head when they're doing comparisons. Um, and so one of the things that I see people doing is saying, hey, we've got the expertise to define like what some of these events are. Like we know all of the different process variables, different megawatt readings from single assets or collections of assets that we can all plot um, in combinations with flags from the ISO. ISO stands for Independent System Operator, an entity that coordinates the entire power grid within a state or group of states in the U.S. Let's make sure that we we never forget those and also that we can very easily draw comparisons between those events and what's going on day to day. I mean, the old adage of people who don't know their history are are doomed to repeat it. What we're seeing people do is use basically like uh, event tracking or, or like bookmarking sections of their history to make sure that those events don't go unnoticed. And that doing those kind of comparisons isn't something that's limited by an individual's capacity to remember data. They can say, hey, let me just take a look at these last uh, five or six or seven or 30 days that all meet this certain criteria that we want to avoid or that we want to replicate. On one hand, of course, the data gives you that real-time visibility. It gives you history so you can see how things have performed in the past. You can build up like predictive algorithms so that you see what we expect generation to be given a set of current conditions uh, over the past day, two days. And and by the way, like we are seeing people do that using predictive analytics to try to guess a little bit like what and, and make very, very informed, very educated guesses and 
shockingly reliable ones about how uh, how these assets are going to perform. And, and that's that is the interesting thing because at the end of the day, there's still going to be a degree of control that's not there. And so, while the predictive and you know, like advanced analytics and pattern matching, while those efforts are incredibly valuable, um, just in terms of like, hey, how can I make best use of my my time right now? Well, there's also a pretty staggering amount that can be done just to make sure that the rest of the infrastructure is working as reliable as possible. And so using these same tools to say, hey, well, if we know that there's going to be a degree of unreliability, let's see like what we can reduce in the overall chain, like condition-based maintenance, like predictive maintenance, like making sure that we guarantee that everything else is as, as a tip-top shape as we can. Does that, does that make sense? Like making sure that we, we focus on, on that side of things too? Yeah, yeah. I guess my understanding of what you're saying is that there's going to be unreliability inherent in any system. Yes. Some of that we can we can mitigate with technology. Mm-hmm. Some of that would be harder to mitigate with technology, like when the wind is blowing, for mm-hmm. example. But for those things that we can mitigate with technology, we should and we can we can improve the systems if we do. Yes, for sure. And uh, just as my last question, if you could sort of give one piece of advice for engineers who are looking to improve specifically power distribution systems, you know, maybe making their their grid more resilient, what would be your sort of one piece of advice? Hands down, the folks who who keep the lights on in America right now and across the world, they're ultimately the experts in in every aspect of this. Um one of the one of the exciting things here is there's uh, it's less of like a, a single capability of the software, but more of a fact that how connected everyone is and how connected we are to stories from other folks in the industry. Whether I mean whether that's in transmission distribution, whether it's like food and beverages manufacturing or, or metals and mining, um, uh, folks are having amazing successes. I mentioned with things like predictive maintenance or with creating predictive algorithms that let them say, hey, is this uh, current flow level going to rise above a certain amount or are we expected to have a a drop in generation um, in two or three hours? I think one of the the really exciting things, I think we're we're starting to move into an era when uh, people are doing incredible things and it's not a success that stays within a certain region, a certain city, and that isn't able to propagate throughout the world. Thanks to the internet, thanks to computers, things like reductions in storage, like all these different things, these stories are getting captured and they're being shared so folks can learn from each other. I think one of the amazing things is when people use software to make their lives easier, like when they're working one of these like like critical roles, the software in and of itself helps capture some of the workflow and some of the steps that people do. The software is able to remember that to like package it all up and allow it to be something that's actually just shared with someone else. So I guess my big piece of advice is, uh, I mean, the folks who, who run these assets, again, like hands down, they're the experts in them. But when it comes to what are all the capabilities that our software can do for, for letting me like extend my knowledge further, for letting me do that faster, regardless of which piece of software you're using, maybe see if you can spare a moment to reach out to the folks who are actually maybe the, the experts in your tool and say, hey, how can I make better use of this this fantastic tool that I already have? So it kind of sounds like what you're saying is don't be afraid to learn from other people, even if even if they're not in your particular industry. There are others in other parts of the industrial economy that are doing things with technology and software that 
might be applicable to you. Oh, completely. And, and I totally get how when, when it's your job to keep a power plant or, or to keep a portion of the grid running, you might think, oh my gosh, having to, to do that research and figure out what are all these case studies? Who can I draw from? Like, who's a good peer that I could reference? I, I can understand that it seems, oh my gosh, it just seems like a lot of work. The convenient size is there's folks like me and there's there's other folks out there in, in similar roles. That is our day-to-day work. We are the resources who know of all of those things. And it's just sitting down and, and finding time in people's schedules to, to have those conversations and let us share those stories from others. Learning from stories about the essential industries is what we're all about here on Radio Pi. In future episodes, we're going to dive deeper into the ways people, companies, and industries are growing more connected and are starting to share more data, insights, and stories that can help everyone learn and improve. It's a phenomenon that some have started calling the connected industrial economy, and it's likely to shape the future of, well, everything. But for now, that's our show. Special thanks to Aviva engineer Dan Lopez for sharing his remarkable story. If you like hearing stories like this, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or you can find us on YouTube or on our website, osisoft.com radio hyphen pi hyphen podcast, where you'll find transcripts, show notes, links to other episodes and resources. Until next time, this is Radio Pie.